Hey, it's Caleb here, and you are listening to Pretty Bored. So, in this episode, I'm going to be bringing back something that I need to finish. Well, I I guess you can tell by the title. We're going to be continuing um, Note to Self by Connor Franta. And if you haven't heard me read this before, I have two other episodes of me reading um, from this book. It's, it's, uh, the way this book is written out is it's written like a journal. So, you know, it's kind of like entries. So sometimes there's long, longer entries, you could say, and then other times because there's like poems in here as well sometimes they're really short you know and and then sometimes there's long stories so it all depends um yeah if out of all the books that i've read on my podcast this is the one that i want to finish i know i've read another one on um by stephen king (laughs) i I think i can finish that one because it's not very long It's, it's pretty short um, uh, the book that I read for my English class, I'm not going to be finishing on here because I'm already way far ahead from where I was when I read it on the podcast. I just read it for fun. But, um, uh, before we get to that, um, we're gonna keep reading this. So, without further ado, let's just get into it. Uh, we're just gonna go straight to the story and... You don't have to listen to me talk about my week and stuff this week. Not like I really did much anyway. Actually, I'll just tell you next week because then there will be even more to talk about. So, But anyway, yeah, okay, let's go. Okay, so when we left off, uh, Connor had just gone through a breakup. So he was writing, like, um, an entry in in poems about it. I think he had just gotten the news or something like that. So, uh, and if you haven't heard it, I think you should go listen to the other parts. So, uh, yeah, he just went through the breakup and all of that, so... After that is the next tiny little poem. All of these tiny poems in between the longer stories have like pictures next to them. So they make more sense when you see them with the pictures. But I'll still read them to you. Okay, this one says broken. I'm broken up after being broken up with. And it's a black and white photo of him um, sitting on his bed like with his back facing the camera and he's like hunched over. Mm, Okay. Too hopeful for my own good, 5.25 p.m. Today my heart was ripped in two. One half for me, one half for you. Take a half and keep it near. I have mine and will always be here. Crossing paths before the end once for a lover. No, once a lover, forever a friend. Here's the next 
short little poem. I hope you know I still admire you. I hope you know I still desire you. I am a ruin, ruined by another. So I guess it sounded like he was okay with it. But I don't know. I guess they're friends, but he doesn't want to be just friends. Seconds. 9.36 p.m. It must hurt to know I was your first everything. For everything now is sloppy seconds. Ooh. So is he angry? That sounds pretty... I don't know. Uh... What would be the word? Petty? It sounds pretty petty. Okay, here's a longer, um, like, entry. Quote, unquote. Okay, it says, it will always be okay. I've never been a big fan of attending award shows. Most are pretentious and few are truly entertaining. In theory, it sounds fun to witness the glamour and chaos of the red carpet firsthand. But the truth is that once you're done up, looking fine, and immersed in such superficial gatherings, it's not all that. The novelty soon wears thin. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Regardless, here I am, sitting in the Staples Center, capacity roughly 20,000, as a guest at the 58th Annual Grammy Awards, the night in music, in the music world. And yet, I'm not excited to be here. In fact, I'm pretty uncomfortable. After several hours, yes, the show goes on for hours, I just can't take it anymore. In fairness to the Grammys, it's not their fault. I can't blame this on Kanye either. No, I'm struggling for personal reasons, as explained in the previous chapter. And I have to leave in the least, in the least dramatic way possible before I have an emotional meltdown. So... I get up, say my goodbyes, and make a silent exit. Because let's be real, no one cared that I was there anyway. The fresh air helps a bit, but I still want to go home so I can have a good cry and let it all out. I order a car, and a short while later, a middle-aged man swoops curbside and picks me up. Sure enough, only a few minutes into the journey, I totally lose it. Tears begin falling from my face and my nose stuffs up. If I could look in a mirror, I'm sure I would resemble a person suffering a horrible, a horrendous allergic reaction. Before I know it, my quiet weeping transitions into loud sobbing, and I can't stop. My sadness doesn't seem to care that I'm dissolving in the back of some stranger's car. And that's when he, the driver, begins saying tissues to me over his shoulder. He doesn't break his concentration on the road, not once. He simply continues to pass me fresh tissues with his right hand, keeping his left on the steering wheel without even glancing at me in the rearview mirror, as deftly and nonchalantly as a magician pulling out a never-ending handkerchief from his sleeve. As he does, my mind plays games with me repeatedly whispering insecure, heartbreak-induced words in my ear, like a worthless, pathetic, and pointless. In the midst of my sadness, I believe everything I'm saying to myself, and it makes me feel even more horrible. 
I try my hardest to focus on the music playing in the car, hoping it drowns out the words in my head. After a solid 45 minutes of driving, fuck this Los Angeles traffic, and another half dozen tissues later, we pull up outside of my house. I'm a total wreck at this point, and there's no trying to hide it. Thanks so much for the ride, I say in between sobs and sniffles, trying not to sound like a total mess. The driver hands me another tissue and finally looks at me, totally composed, and he says, Sir, whatever is upsetting you, just know that it will be okay. It will always be okay. He says it so gently, so sincerely. His kindness in that moment, his understanding and empathy, makes me want to bawl even more. I can barely utter thank you to the extent that my gratitude comes out as a whisper. I step out of the car and he drives away, turning the corner at the end of my street and vanishing into the night. I sit on my steps and continue my pity party for one. But the truth is that I don't stop thinking about what the driver said to me. His words didn't cure me then and there, but I would remember them in the days ahead because it will be okay. It will always be okay. I just needed the kindness of a stranger to remind me of that. And then this um, quote right here says, sometimes even the worst dreams are better than this reality. And then it's like a picture of um, street lights, but it's like all blurred out, you know? Okay, anyway. Pictures. Okay, here we go. A mind at its worst. Forgettable, worthless, pointless, useless, expendable. I'm none of the above. Stop tricking me into thinking otherwise. Please stop. Please. Seems like this breakup is making him feel like... Is making him think he's a terrible person, pretty much. Her peach sunglasses. People don't realize the daily power they have to make others happy. All it takes is a few kind words, delivered without expectation. It's not much, honestly. Giving someone a compliment or slight encouragement is the only thing any of us can do at any time. It's free. It's easy, and boy, can it do the world wonders. For some reason, I've always felt uncomfortable talking to strangers in any capacity. I'm the type of guy who will mentally rehearse his dinner order at a restaurant until I have to say it out loud to the server. Don't fuck this up, Connor. You have one shot. Don't mess this up. Nine times out of ten, I stutter or stumble over my words, and everything goes to shit. But who's counting? Me. I'm getting better at it now because, frankly, it's my job. I've been honing my social skills and public speaking abilities over the past three years due to the industry I find myself in. It has thrust me into situations that have ripped me out of my comfort zone and taught me confidence. I meet countless people who do every job imaginable. So, in a way, my life is like one giant speed dating session and 
Whether I like it or not, I'm deathly single. I have to meet them all because who knows if I'll find a match made in, in work heaven. I don't think I'm making sense or am even close to a metaphor at this point. So let's move on. The other day, I was out and about with a few friends, walking down Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, browsing shops and store windows as we do. A, a group of girls was walking toward us in the opposite direction, and I quickly noticed how cool one of them looked. She had this cute short haircut that still maintained some waves, and she wore baggy jeans with a tucked-in white graphic tee, complete with a pair of round peach-colored sunglasses. My description doesn't do her outfit justice, but she was cute as hell, and everyone could tell. Now, I could do one of two things here. One, not say thing, or two, say thing. It's simple. Those are my options. I'm willing to bet most people would go with option one and move along, perhaps feeling a slight twinge of regret for not having the guts to say something. I used to be that way, but with practice, I now adopt the why not attitude. What's so hard about telling people they look great? In the least, I'm hitting on you way of possible, of course. If done correctly, with sincerity and no weirdness intended, nothing can go wrong. As this girl approached us, I made eye contact, smiled, and spoke up. Hey, you're killing it. You look great. She looked surprised. Oh, thank you, she said, as if no one had ever paid her a compliment before, which I highly doubt, because style like that could not be an accident. Um, okay, side note, baggy jeans with a tucked in shirt. Okay, anyone can do that. But anyway, okay. <laughs> Back to the book. I continued smiling, nodded in acknowledgement of her response, and kept walking on with my friends. I thought something and wasn't going to hold back from sharing that honest thought. In doing so, it actually left me feeling like a million bucks. And judging by the look on her face, she felt a similar sensation of giddiness. It felt good to make someone else feel good about herself. Apparently, the giving and receiving of a compliment has mutual benefits. Who knew? In a world that appears to indulge in negativity, I find we need to do our best to share the good. Too many shows, blogs, and newspapers spew pessimism, seemingly dedicated to tearing people down and picking them apart piece by piece until there's nothing left. This horribly judgmental trend has no point, save for spite and harm. You nearly have to flick through magazines or scroll through the online entertainment sites to observe how people's fashion, hair, bodies, and even personalities are being dissected for commentary. Spend five minutes on Twitter and you'll see a constant stream of pointlessness. Vitriolic trolling every time you refresh your feed. It's sad. It's sad to me when it's not even about me. Rarely does any anyone have anything nice to say anymore. It's a playground of sore, shut-in, bitching and gossiping, where people drag others down for their own twisted entertainment. And the danger of this online activity is that it spills over into real life. You can't fake hatred like that. Thankfully, kind Uber drivers who pass me tissues are reassuring are my reassuring reminder that goodness and kindness remain in abundance out there. 
good people do exist, even if most of them are not known to the wider public and live their lives under the radar. We have enough badness in the real world without adding to it in the virtual one, and we need to remember that we're capable of projecting goodness. We need to spread love, kindness, and empathy to the masses. At the end of the day, we're all humans with hangups and unknown struggles and insecurities we face daily, silently. Think about that and be aware that we are all this way. It's not just you and not just me. Everyone has baggage. Pause for a second and think of something nice to say instead of indulging in pointless negativity. So, next time you see someone who's wearing something cool or dope or unique, or maybe got a new haircut or hair color, acknowledge it. Show that you noticed it in the way the person wanted to be noticed. Be it a friend, relative, or a total stranger. I'm not sure there's anything better than being noticed. And you watch. The more you do it, the more the kindness will spread out like a ripple. Trust me on this. You'll walk a little taller for simply speaking up. No strings attached. No ifs, ands, or buts. You, 9.27 p.m. Your smell and smile can make even the strongest fall to their knees. Whoa. Better days. In those moments, we are overcoming, we are overcome with feeling, warmly embraced by fate, the soft kiss of no expectations, a greeting of peace, a message of hope, sweet serenity, leaks from pour and palm, Nothing can go wrong. Everything is right. I am okay. And next to it is a picture of him holding a dandelion. And then the next one, it's called Frames, and the picture of him holding a dandelion that's been blown off. Frames. Photographs fly down where we used to lie down. Removed by the same hands that used to hold my hands. Together, we pack them away in cardboard capsules behind closed doors. Memories stay and decay in the grace of queens and kings. To a land where dreams are made, now hidden in darkness. An empty row of nails line the wall. My eyes sting with pain. His white teeth stained with a cocktail of tears. We wish to to hide beside them, two stowaways capsized in the present, below our melted hearts. Blood drains from our veins as the door closes one last time. On everything we used to know, our eyes shut before midnight, no words to break our silence, wishing for an extra hour, hoping for a better day, like the ones depicted behind the wooden frames. An unmemorable day made memorable. It's crazy how I can remember a specific day from the now distant past so vividly. A day in which nothing super significant happened, except for the fact that it was just, well, a really good day. My recall of 
a day shared with you, a special someone, is almost cinematic. Take this snapshot for example. I woke up at the right time feeling refreshed, not at all groggy after a damn near stirless sleep with only your smile to greet mine in the morning as we stretched and rolled around in the messy covers. <gasps> Who is this? Who is he writing this for? Is he back with his ex? Mm, I don't know. Okay, let's keep reading. The sheets were warm. The air remained a little cold. A happy dream lingered in my mind, my face reflecting its quickly fading memory, making me smile. I rolled out of bed and headed to the kitchen to brew up a couple of coffees before snuggling on the couch with mug in hand and you by my side. My calendar was clear. All usual commitments were non-existent. The day was ours, for you and me alone to fill with whatever our hearts desired. Outside, the weather was cool enough to wear a jacket, so I grabbed a favorite from the closet and we held hands as we walked to the bookstore. There, we enjoyed another coffee before sharing literary finds with each other, comparing choices that were so fitting and, in and inappropriately appropriate. We observed the passing pedestrians and kissed behind bookcases. We grabbed a light lunch of avo, oh, avo on toast with another coffee because that's about as crazy as we got. We swung, we swung on the swings in a nearby park like the kids we were. The clouds were sprinkled lightly across the sky in a way that added to the sense of peace. You talked, I listened. Nothing important was said, but all the words were open and spoken with ease, bringing questions and giggles in between. And there was that smile, that goddamn smile that made my knees weak. When I was able to make it appear, I couldn't help but feel excited. I couldn't help but feel closer than the eye can see. The hours ticked by to the extent that we lost the sense of time that we never truly had on this good day. And then we made our way home. Not because we had we had to, but because we wanted to. Joined by friends and family, the warmth of togetherness slowly grew. Continuing into the night, we were a little community watching TV shows, perfectly imperfect in all the right ways. The conversation was alive, and the contagious happiness was like ecstasy in the air that made everyone glow. Then, just like that, it was time for this day to end where it began with our heads on the pillow, cuddling and sleeping with the smallest, most content of smiles. We had no fears that day, no worries. We were carefree. It was nice to merely exist, to be, and existing had never felt so light. That one ordinary, unremarkable day became memorable purely for being good. Let's never forget our good days. We should string them together like pearls on a necklace to be treasured and remembered whenever days don't make us feel as good. I think that sometimes it's the memory of simple, ordinary, happy days that sustains us. The ones without expectation that come with no strings attached. The ones that stand out for blending in and can be appreciated for that reason alone. What a good day that was. I wonder who he was spending that date with. Hmm.
Bloodshot, 3.01 a.m. When I lie awake long enough for the clock to tick over to a new day, my heart beats faster as I begin to question, what brings worth to living? The scariest moment comes when my eyes remain open through an hour empty of answers. Arguments in Antimeridian. 8.53 a.m. Oh, I think AM stands for Antimeridian. Whoa, okay. The rain came again. The morning was left cold. We used to argue about these times, so playful and lighthearted. Today, I guess I got my way. But we'll get anything for you to get yours. Morning silence. Do you know what I appreciate? Morning silence. When I'm up and awake before anyone else. When the sun has just risen and sends shimmering beams of gold through the window, drenching my home in light. When I'm walking around trying to be as weightless as a feather, but the floorboards still manage to emit a slight creak or two. From outside, the sound of an occasional passing car momentarily interrupts the quiet of daybreak, but I hear it almost as a greeting. Hello, fellow early riser. How do you do? Where are you off to? And then another window silence is broken by a bird chirping ever so softly amongst the palms outside. Nature's alarm clock, I guess. A distant voice is heard from across the street. Doubt, doubtless a duo of walkers getting some exercise before rushing off to work. The street is beginning to stir and this moment is coming to an end. As the rest of the city slowly wakes, the air is cooler than usual, so I wrap myself up in a blanket, cocooned in comfort and immediate warmth. In the kitchen, the coffee begins to drip, and each drip invites me to get up and get going. Everything is perfectly in its place from the previous day. All things lie in their natural state as if frozen overnight. The sun gleams through, seemingly brighter than before. It's going to be a good one, I think, as I pour the first of many cups of coffee. I have no reason to know that, but I sense the goodness in the air. I take my first sip and my mind hums. Yes. Welcome to your new day, a day that started in sublime stillness. How much more should we read? Okay, let's keep going. Up at 5 a.m., I can feel every eyelash, every itch, every breath that I take. I'm wide awake, thinking about you, and I don't know how to stop. I saw a boy in Larkmont. I don't know what Larkmont is. Okay. A familiar face of the one I once knew sent me to the floor amid the clatter of coffee cups, the voices of strangers in a place I thought safe, a haven, a haven turned traitor. Only my eyes lift to meet you for the first time in eight or nine old wounds. Old wounds return new, somehow deeper than before. Escape. My mind whispers, you're in danger. You need to run. 
run far from here, in any direction, with any destination. The whisper, now turned siren, alarmed, though there's no real threat. Cautious nonetheless, startled by my past, fearful of my future, setting me back all those months, running faster now, crying harder now, the boy in Larkmont tilts back into my nightmares as I flee down the street. Who knew a sight, once seen daily, could make my eyes this sore again? I think he saw his ex. Excuses, excuses. We will forever find excuses not to, but you only need one reason to. Run away. It's late May. The seasons are changing, and I'm off again, headed as far away as I can stand to go on my own. Honestly, the destination couldn't matter less at this point. All that matters is that I get away. I figure that if I flee as soon as things aren't working, then maybe it'll be all right. Maybe everything will become good again if I run away to somewhere better. By going to a new location on a new day in a new time zone, filled with new people and new experiences, maybe, just maybe, everything will turn out better. Maybe. This isn't my first dramatic escape. If it were, I would be much more frightened and damn near crippled with anxiety. This is, however, my first time leaving the country to do it. I've never fled so far. Typically, I'll go somewhere like the Northwest to visit my brother. Did that twice. Or home to Minnesota to be in the comfort of my, of my, parents, old, of my parents' home. Did that twice as well. Or to New York to get caught up in the busy city life surrounded by strangers. But hey, at least I'm not alone. Did that once. But never before have I gone as far as London. It's quite excessive, especially from Los Angeles. 11 hours by plane, 5,000 miles away, 8 hours into the future. That's um, a lot, even for me. As per usual, I've convinced myself that I'm leaving for a good reason. To be with friends, or to take some time off, or simply because I want to. Sadly, those are lies, deep-rooted lies told to myself and everyone close to me. They're all bullshit excuses that further distance myself from the truth. Deep down, only I know, only I know I'm running away. Nothing feels right or the same or good at home in Los Angeles anymore. It's shit, continues to be shit, and I need to get away from this shit. I need to leave behind the constant reminders of what was and what will never be. I have to escape the pain that bombards me from every direction and haunts my mind with lingering questions. I'm sore from thinking and my senses are numb to reality. It's not even about a broken heart anymore. I'm back to where I was in college, reverting to the depression that cripples my everyday existence. Everything is shit, or at least that's what the depression convinces me is true. It's like looking into a foggy mirror that won't clear up. No matter how many times I try to wipe it away, the haze returns. In a way, this is my version of fight versus flight. 
I'm not a fighter, as you might very well know. I hate confrontation in any form and avoid it like the plague. But I do fly when the going gets tough. Literally, I jump on a plane and it seems to work for a while. It makes things better for a few days. But I soon learned that none of these trips really help. I quickly become engulfed in the fog once again. These trips don't fix me. They don't stop my hive of a mind from buzzing day in and day out. But alas, I'm an optimist at heart. And I'm hoping that this trip to London will be the one that defies the rest. And so I sit here in Delta Economy at Los Angeles International Airport, running away, hoping the fourth time's the charm. The first time I ran, I genuinely believed it would help in a significant way. After booking my ticket, I began fantasizing that I had successfully scheduled a cure-all as though it were a surgery to remove a cancer from my body and, thus, free me of this disease. I felt excited to leave, and it had nothing to do with where I was going, only the departure mattered. Sadly, and not surprisingly, within 48 hours of arriving at my brother's house in Portland, Oregon, I realized the solution wasn't geographical. In fact, I almost felt worse, if that was even possible. It was as if my body knew the futility of trying to outrun my feelings. Yelling at me, No, 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 you tricky little weasel. I know what you're up to, and it's not how this works. You can't hide from the truth. No, no, no. And then boom, the tears came. Stupid self. Upon experiencing this rather quick epiphany, I felt like I had to flee again that was only the right only the only choice right i wasn't recovering in portland so i had to go somewhere else i felt as though i couldn't be at ease existing within myself and i was desperate to seek out an antidote to my sadness and resurfacing depression my next move was to head home to minnesota where my mother where my other brother and his then fiance now wife were nothing but helpful and comforting, trying their absolute best to console me when I needed consoling and to distract me at all other times. We'll keep you busy, they said, which made me feel worse, because how could this not make me feel better? How could I feel this way when I was surrounded by love, support, and endless breweries? How? How many months... Now, many months, and a few runaways later, cut to London, where I fled for no particular reason. The hardest part about coming here is trying to explain to friends and family why I felt the urge to pick up and leave. Oh, a couple of friends have been begging me to visit. I've got to go. It's for them. Lies. Such lies. It's true that I know people in London. How oddly pretentious does that phrase sound? But by no means were they begging me to make an appearance. They weren't even asking. I invited myself. It's kind of sad when you think about it, choosing to be that distant from my entire life and not owning up to it. Again, I wish to reiterate that running away for me had absolutely nothing to do with the destination. It was all a journey of hope that would be deemed successful only if I left but wanted to stay. If I boarded the plane back to the States, sat down in my seat, 
looked through my camera roll filled with photos and those memories brought a smile to my face and peace to my brain. Memories that made me miss that place and want to return again one day. If that happened, I told myself, then this runaway would run back to where he belonged with a new glow about him, rejuvenated, repaired, happy to go, happy to return. London was the first trip that did that for me. There was something about the days that seemed so long that made me giddy to exist in every minute of every hour. I booked a tiny and, let's be honest, shitty hotel room, which had a bed and a shower right next to each other in the same closet-sized space. There was a desk in the corner with a kettle and all the fixings to make English breakfast tea, which I embraced fully and made on the daily. Plus, a single sash window that looked out onto the busy streets below. That was all I needed, and that was all I needed, all I wanted. Every day I would sleep in because, for the first time in a while, I had nothing to wake up for. No reason to get out of bed early. No emails to be answered. I felt like I had not one single responsibility. For the first time in forever, I enjoyed the mundane doings of an average day. That week, my job was to solely exist. And I found it liberating. It fostered an even stronger sense of independence within me, and I felt more detached from our ever-connected world. I was forced to make plans. I was left to my own devices, and I had to sit with my own thoughts and decisions because of the massive amounts of alone time I had accumulated. I'm not saying that running away always works, nor should it be viewed as the solution to our problems when life feels like too much, because it isn't. But on this occasion, for me, London worked wonders. Here's what I also know. Matters of geography don't erase matters of the heart, soul, and mind. No matter, no matter your mental state, and no matter the amount of distance you put between you and your problems, leaving rarely solves anything. Problems follow us to locations. They travel with us to all corners of the earth, like a permanently attached carry-on. No one can outrun a difficult time or emotion, not even Usain Bolt. For a while, I think I labored under the false impression that running away meant I could leave a problem behind and almost forget about its significance. Wrong. That's wrong. The only way to crack a real problem is to face it. Look your issues dead in the eye and sort out the beef between you. For the first time in so long, I realized I was okay with just me. I didn't need someone to be constantly around to make me happy. That was something I had always known deep down, but never been forced to understand. In leaving and putting so much distance between myself and home, I discovered that I was ready to face my reality and look into the whites of its eyes. Things weren't going to get better magically. They were going to take time and effort. And I had to do this for me. My heart can't mend until I apply the band-aids. My mind won't clear until I get rid of the baggage. My self-love and appreciation won't return unless I work toward remembering why I'm great as an individual. My worth is not defined by others. It can only be defined by me. By no means did I conquer everything on that one London trip. 
I refuse to sit here and pretend this was a revolutionary moment that brought puppies and rainbows. I'm not going to paint a fantasy just to sound inspirational. But it did lead to an important breakthrough. I still don't know where the ultimate destination is, but for me, life is about finding new paths and connections and figuring out the twists and turns and ups and downs as you go, encountering all the roadblocks along the way. I'm curious to see where I go with this new mindset. Only time will tell if I need to run away again. I'm guessing that I will at some point, but who knows? Maybe I'll choose to sit with that urge, keep my feet grounded, look my discomfort dead in the eye, and work it out. Maybe staying put is what the courageous do. Yeah, I'd like to be brave next time. And that's where we're going to leave off for today. I think that's a good stopping point. Okay, why don't we talk about it real quick? Okay, so it seems like now he's making his way through his breakup in his own way um, by running away. But obviously it doesn't apply to everybody. But it seems like it's working for him and that he's feeling better. I think what happened was um, he went into that coffee shop. Probably the one that he was talking about in that story about the good day. Where they went to the bookstore and they um, drank coffee and kissed behind bookshelves and stuff. I'm thinking maybe that was the place he went to, you know, to get coffee. And then he saw his ex there, probably saw him there. And then was like, oh, my gosh, because he was like, after all this time, I guess he was finally starting to get over it. He saw him again. And then everything just went back to the way it was before. And and one part that I really liked. Um, let me go back to it. Um, let me see. You know, that part, you know, that saying um, a sight for sore eyes. It's an old saying, I think. Um, he kind of like uh, flipped it around in in that section here. Let me. Oh, here we go. It says. Um, he says. As I flee down the street, who knew a sight once seen daily could make eyes this sore again? So it's kind of play on that thing, a sight for sore eyes. Usually when you say that to someone, oh, you're a sight for sore eyes, that means you're glad to see them. You know, um, you're happy that they're there. But this one, when he says, who knew a sight once seen daily could make my eyes this sore? It's like he, after all that time, he didn't want to see him. And it actually, basically, it ruined his day. It ruined what he how he was feeling and so he was like i gotta dip so i really loved i um loved yeah i think it was really good i really liked that play on the on that um phrase i really like this book it's my sister's so i'm gonna have to buy a copy for myself um yeah so i'm glad that i got to read this book again for you for you all And I hope you guys like listening to it. I hope you guys like listening to me reading. 
um, I try to sound dramatic, you know, maybe, <laughs> uh, what's it called, you know, add a little inflection and, and emotion, I try to make it sound like I'm just talking, I'm an actor, no, I'm just playing, um, I don't know, I feel like I learned that from my mom, because my mom, she has this voice that she puts on when she reads, her reading voice, whenever she reads anything, especially little kids voice little like uh, children's stories she always puts on this voice (laughs) this reading voice and so i've kind of learned my own reading voice and it's different for children's books or i think it's probably the same for everything but um you know i try to make it not monotone so it's kind of boring there is a podcast for that though if you want to just hear someone read so you can fall asleep who's just pretty monotone and it's not it's not so boring that you don't want to listen but it's not interesting enough that you'll listen and not fall asleep it's this podcast called bore you to sleep and um it's basically that it's this guy he's from australia um and he reads um public domain books so and he doesn't read the whole thing. He just reads like a chapter or whatever and then moves on to another book and you won't hear him read that book again. It's something new every episode. And so he reads it in a monotone voice and pretty soft. Um, I think about the volume that I'm speaking right now and yeah, he'll read that. And you know, it, I, I usually fall asleep like watching videos or listening to music. I'm not like listening to people talk it doesn't do that for do it for me but I know it'll help for some people so if you like this kind of thing and you want something where you can use it all the time I would go to that podcast it's called bore you to sleep and um I think it's really good for that so yeah check that podcast out uh but let me give you my music recommendation of the week right now and then that'll be the end of this episode uh, this week wasn't crazy, but I'll tell you guys about it, um, next week. I'll bunch this week and next week together, so it'll be like a big, big day of catch-up, so. My music recommendation of the week, um, it's this song called Johnny. I heard it. So, I discovered this artist. Her name is Faye Webster. And oh my gosh, she is so good. She's so good. I love her music. I love her album. It's called um, Atlanta Millionaires Club. It's so good. And my favorite song off the album, well, I like two songs. I like the whole thing. My favorite song, it would have to be Johnny. And then after that, um, Kingston. So, but I listen to both. But I recommend if you, if you only want to listen to one or whatever just listen to johnny by faye webster f-a-y-e and then webster w-e-b-s-t-e-r and it's called johnny um i think it's just j-o-n-n-y it'll show up when you type it in youtube and it's such a pretty song and it, what's cool about faye is that so it's on her like um artists artist like bio i can't pull up spotify or it'll stop the recording but basically she grew up in atlanta so she said that she's had a lot of influences in um, music 
And so her music has a country sound. And before you go, ugh, country, it's like just slightly there. You can hear it and go, oh, okay. But then it also has R&B and and, um, a kind of jazzy sound too. And so I think if you listen to it, you'll really like it. Donald, look up this song. You need to look up the song. And then after you look at the song and listen to it, you need to tell me what you think, okay? Okay. But anyway, yeah. Listen to that song. It's awesome. Johnny by Faye Webster. And with that, that's the end of this episode. Thank you guys for um, listening to this episode, listening to me read, if you've made it this far. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to finish this book. You you all probably thought I was never going to get back to this book, but here I am so yeah and I'm um um I'm gonna finish it and I I like reading on this uh podcast it's nice it's calming it's chill and I think it's it's always something um cool to do in between all the other stuff that I do so anyway I hope you guys are having a good night or a good morning or whatever time it is for you wherever you are And I will talk to you in the next episode. Peace.